0: Well, welcome to Paul Rudy's On the Money. Here we are, June 27th. Where's this summer going? And uh, today, uh, we usually have Fred Gertz, Dr. Fred Gertz, in the studio. But, uh, Dr. Fred, are you there via telephone? You're out in New York.
1: Yeah, I, I'm here.
0: And you're at an investment conference?
1: Yeah, in uh, New York. Actually, it's an interesting conference, because it's also uh, something happening with the NBA. So I've been sharing the elevator with uh, Dirk Nowiski and uh, <laughs> Alan uh, 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 and It's a different uh for people so it's been more than just an investment
0: so i think take them out to the basketball court show them what you have right (laughs) in the studio i have certified financial planner professional david rudy david welcome thanks for having me certified financial planner professional paul rudy paul welcome as well Thank you. Great to be here. And thanks for holding down the fort a uh, couple shows ago. Uh, you know. Thanks
2: for letting me do that. I kind of got to sit on the throne for a little bit. You got to <laughs> relinquish it for a
0: little bit. Don't get used to it. And, <laughs> uh, and financial advisor, Daniel Rudy. Daniel, welcome. Good morning. And all three of these, obviously, they share the last name, and they all work with Rudy Wealth Management. and um, <coughs> uh, Quite the little family business we have there, but that's not what people are listening to the show. Anyway, you can call in with your questions at 356-9397, or you can text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line at 351-5357. It's become a very popular way to communicate uh, for the show. You can also email your questions to talk at WDWS.com. It's important to recognize that past performance is not an indication of future results and that's a fact and no one should make any investment decisions without first consulting his or her own financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence just good practical sense there and uh and we encourage people again we I, I i told somebody the other day guys that one of the things really the goal of the show many times is just to make uh, just to educate people so that they can even ask the right questions of their advisor. It's not so much about the answers here. Um we're happy to uh, to take calls and we're happy to answer questions via text as well. Uh but many times I think what we hope people walk away with is just what are what are the questions I should be asking? And I think that's a healthy way to think about it. Well, Fred, uh labor market stays tight. Um it seems like we're at a 16-year low, 4.3%. Uh, labor markets—guess we'd have to call it at full employment. Uh, we had raise, uh, uh, Federal Reserve raised interest rates by a quarter percentage point last week. I think that's the fourth time, and since they started increasing interest rates a little while back, um, there's been a slowdown in inflation, from what I can tell. Um, but that seems to be more one-off factors than anything. So, according to the Federal Reserve, that's probably not going to stop them from future hikes. And I noticed that uh, Federal Reserve Bank President John Williams out of San Francisco says three rate rises this year and three to four next year would be fine as long as the economy is progressed as hoped. Are, yeah, we, are, a, are, we, are we progressing?
1: I think so. that would be a good scenario. It would mean that things are going along fairly well. Uh, what I found uh, here at this uh, meeting was that uh, what they're saying is pretty much what uh, we been saying and a lot of other people have been saying for a long time, uh, despite all of the... Uh, political turmoil, uh, much more unpredictability in the, uh, with the Trump administration, things happening in Europe and all kinds of uh, issues around the world, whether it's the Middle East to the Ukraine or North Korea, that uh, the economy seems to be bumping along just uh, uh, <clears throat> fine. Uh, a, a slow rate of growth uh, around uh, 2%. Uh, now 2% has become a kind of goal as opposed to a, a floor. And so the expectation is that we'll continue in this Kind of uh, your, your term plowhorse economy uh, for some time to come, and then obviously at some point uh, there'll be a downturn in the market, but no one perceives it coming right away. So again, it's not not very much uh, news here. The surprising thing is the stability of the financial sector with the instability of the of the political and. Uh, international situation.
0: Do you think that's, uh, you think sometimes, I guess I'm wondering if, and I wonder if you agree that maybe this decline in prices of all these high tech goods that are out there that are really improving lives, improving (laughs) profitability, maybe it's kind of masking this investment boom that companies are really making, and they're only doing this if they're going to be profitable. And it strikes me that stocks are up because profits are up, not because of quantitative easing. It just, it, it seems to me that I think what a lot of the economists have missed and a lot of pundits in the financial business that have been telling us that this is this is like 1987 you know all over again uh or 2008 all over again and they've been saying it for the last three or four years is i right. think they but seem, it, it they seem not to, to be, be ignoring this
1: yeah yeah i mean i don't again uh one of the uh uh problems with a bubble is you only know a bubble after it's over uh so if, Uh, Everyone can see now that uh, something was going on in Japan in the 1980s or something was going on with the uh, tech sector in the uh, late uh, 1990s and something was wrong with the housing sector prior to 2007 and so on. But unfortunately, no one was telling us at that time. But I don't see anything like that right now. There may be some overvalued stocks and overvalued situations, but uh, I don't see anything comparable to these last uh, three things I mentioned earlier. So again, that doesn't mean the the, the straight up the market. There's all kinds of things that will happen. I don't see any sort of devastating uh events happening.
0: Yeah, but there seems to be a full time industry of suggesting that it is and agree. Again, you you hit it right on the head. There's a lot of comparisons to what Japan's main stock market index looked like back in rushing you know, basically until its brutal crash going into nineteen ninety. But you know if you really look at the data there's nothing that would compare to that today um yeah. you know they they were clearly you'd have to take you know you'd have to almost double the the, the bubbleness of the S&P 500 or the stock market and real estate to even come close i suppose we could argue that maybe in 2000 when the high tech that was kind of a bubble um but the data was there to show that it probably was a bubble I, not everybody fell for it i didn't fall for it uh we stayed globally diversified we didn't buy into that nonsense we didn't think it was this it was difference but i think people looking right. for parallels to, you know the u.s and the japan's Nikkei market in the 1980s i think that's that's you know the, there, there
1: are some puzzles i mean uh it, it uh I would go back to uh, November after the election, I would have predicted that we'd be bumping along at uh, all-time highs, you know, uh, four or five months later, six months later. So, again, everything's not uh, easily understandable, but I don't think there's anything totally out of whack now at this
0: point. I agree. I mean, these aren't things that are even predictable, uh, only that, you know, in the long run, these very bright uh, operators and management of the greatest companies in the world, uh, they, they seem to have figured it out, even with all the headwinds that they needed to innovate. I think, again, this technology boom and declining prices of technology and increasing productivity and profitability, to me, that's the story of why we continue to have higher prices of the stock market. I don't think it's overvalued at all, which is not the same thing as saying it couldn't fall 20% between sundown and sunup tomorrow.
1: Yeah, things uh, happen, too. It's very hard to... People write, right. No one will believe this, including me, but uh, supposedly... Uh, Cell phone rates are really coming down now, so things happen behind the scenes. You don't really see that. So everyone thinks every every thing they buy is becoming more expensive, but actually that's not always the case.
0: Yeah, and you've made that point a number of times that if you if you adjust for tech, you know technology increases and improvements, and how much longer things last, or how much better, or how much more they do for you for the the money, you know, it's it arguable that it, it, there's a strange way to look at it and say there's no inflation at all because uh, the, the cost of a lot of the goods people buy on now, people are going to call and scream and say, I haven't been to a grocery store. And by the way, I have. I, I like to cook, and so I like to buy my own groceries. Well, store. actually,
1: that, that that's true uh, as well. Uh, we talked about innovation, but one of the big innovations is the Walmart. Uh, Putting pressure on everyone else, so food prices actually uh, have not gone up very much, and there's a fear among many of, of the traditional. <laughs> Uh, grocery stores that uh, price will actually are going to go down in the, in the next uh, six months or so. Well,
0: but g- guessing, you know, just going down the street and looking at everybody's weight and physique, you know, it's not, it's hard to imagine that you know, everybody's having a hard time. It doesn't look like it to me, including myself. I think my wife told me I needed to be on the treadmill this morning. Yeah, so, a
1: combination a combination of uh, low food prices and, uh, State drugs, I think, has uh, led people to okay. have a uh, lack of discipline
0: there. <laughs> and their and life. what I think that's just welcome to the human race issue. And uh, even investing is a welcome to the human race issue. Uh, it, it's, it just doesn't come with instructions. And even if they do, at least guys don't read instructions. And maybe that's why women tend to be better investors. They, they don't they don't trade as, as often. Now let's get to the state of Illinois because it looks like, you know, first of all, that people have probably noticed there's articles that. You know, about potential bankruptcy of Illinois, we've talked about that. States can't go bankrupt unless there's changes in the laws. But it looks like you know there's almost this impending junk bond status for the state of Illinois. Um, is that what's pushing? Maybe is it getting so bad now that it looks like we might get some type of budget deal? I, I know it's speculation, but I wonder if there's some so. correlation uh, there.
1: If uh, we had had this uh, history in the last three, uh, two years of futility. I'd say that uh, what you see now is just kind of the uh, the dance going on before some kind of agreement is reached to deal with the situation. But So that's uh, a normal kind of analysis, but the dance hasn't resulted in a uh, in a, uh, a favorable outcome in the last two years. So it's kind of a, a difficult thing to analyze. But I think what my prediction would be that uh, there will be some kind of compromise, but the idea of a grand compromise or a grand bargain is uh, vastly overstated. Probably what we'll get back to is a kind of uh, patchwork situation where we'll get through uh, each year, one year at a time, without dealing necessarily with the long-run kind of problems. But even that's a welcome change from the situation we been in the last two years.
0: And, of course, people in the national level are starting to wonder, are we going to get these tax reductions uh, this year? And there seems to be some importance that it has to be this year or else you know, the markets are going to be in trouble or whatever. I, I don't buy into any of that. And,
1: uh, you know. Well, I, think, I think that at least the peop- people I've read uh, uh, read about or uh, talked to are saying now that it's probably not going to be a uh, comprehensive kind of tax reform. All the kind of uh, sticky issues about uh, changing the structure and so on probably won't happen. So what probably what will happen is some kind of modest, Reduction in rates and uh, a few changes like that. They'll call that reform and go on.
0: Do you think this gridlock in some ways is good at the national level? Uh, You know, when it comes to, I think, of the stock market, I always think of some of the best times came out of gridlock, that is nobody nobody can really do all that much to hurt things. Um, Is that where we are in your opinion?
1: Well, I think there's different kinds of gridlock. The idea of divided government is probably not a bad idea, but the kind of gridlock we had... In 2011, with the uh, uh, ceiling for the debt about to expire, and people not knowing what to do, or the situation in Springfield where we're not paying our bills, is a little bit beyond deadlock. So I think maybe more of a uh, of a kind of stalemate, where people recognize the uh, the power structure and try to deal with it, uh, in a way to go forward. Is not a bad situation.
0: And it seems like you know the Fed, as we know, they've basically they've stopped buying bonds. Interest rates have not moved higher. They stopped quantitative easing. Basically, now they have this big schedule of how to... It's going to take years to do it, but they've stopped the quantitative easing quite some time ago, and the market continues to move higher. Right, So uh, kind of like a,
1: It's almost like a, a pendulum or something. That, uh, every six months, we start worrying about deflation, and then we stop worrying about... So right now, there's actually people, again, talking about deflation issues. So, uh, again, there doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, issue about... Uh, tightening, causing any particular uh, problem in terms of the economy
0: at this point. It sure looks to me, if I, as I look back, especially now that they've stopped the quantitative easing and the stock market's at record highs, you know, this, it gets, it bolsters my argument that quantitative easing didn't work because one of the reasons is, you probably remember Milton Friedman always saying, watch M2, which is one one portion of the money supply. And even though they put these $3.5 trillion on their balance sheet, the Fed, about 90% of them ended up being stored as excess reserves, and the money supply really never went up since 2008 compared to where it was. And that, to me, is kind of like, well, this really money hasn't really found its way into the system.
1: Well, I think there, there, there are two ways to answer that. I think you're right that the uh, monetary easing didn't serve as a stimulus as traditional monetary policy is supposed to do. But it may have helped to recapitalize the financial sector, which was a, a sure. special situation after the crisis of 2008. So just stabilizing the situation was not an inconsiderable a kind of uh, result there. So I think it probably was useful, but it didn't uh, get the job done in terms of uh, stimulating the economy.
0: I think you're right. I think, you know, the emergency uh, things that they had to do for liquidity and all that into the system, I, I was, and people think I'm, goofy because of that, but I, I'm not so against that. It's just this idea that that the stock prices are high at record highs because of quantitative easing. I've been hearing it for years, and it just suggested to me that if quantitative easing would have been working, we we had real GDP that expanded at almost 3% between 1995 and September of 2008, and here we kind of seem to be stuck around the 2% level.
1: So now, just, I, I That's the question we come back to every uh, few weeks, and that is uh, whether... It may well be that uh, 2% is the new uh, norm in terms of what we can expect. So, uh, again, maybe we're we're doing as well as we uh, might during this uh, situation. There are other people that we think we can break out of this and go back to higher rates.
0: I I think to me, my personal opinion is if the government could, could, could do less and get out of the way and quit crowding things out, we might get there, but we'll see. Uh, have my theories about that. I'm not sure I'm right, but that's just my beliefs. Right. Well, Fred, we appreciate you taking time out from your conference. Uh, make okay. sure that you pass anything along that we can use from.
1: Okay, you know, work. So we'll see you in, see you in two, a couple of weeks. Whenever the next.
0: Yep, we'll see you at the All next buddy, show. Yes. Thanks, okay, Fred. Thank you. Appreciate you calling in. Thanks. Thank you. All right, I'm going to try to get Fred off here. I think we did it. Wow, Ed's going to be proud of me. Well, that was great. That was Dr. Fred Gertz calling in. He's at an investment conference out in New York, and he was nice enough to take uh, 20 minutes or so to kind of like to recap. I like to do that with Fred. I, you know, there's, you know, in a university town, and of course we're here in Illinois just to begin with and with everything going on, Fred really is really on it when it comes to the state of Illinois issues. Also with at the macro U.S. and international level as well, but I think it gives listeners Many of our listeners have pensions uh, that have the 3% cost of living, you know, one of the big concerns that we get all the time is, hey, can I count on this? And Fred has convinced me, uh, Dr. Fred Gertz has convinced, I think, all of us that that's probably not a risk. Uh, there's there's too many options ahead of before that would happen. So. Um, guys, I want to switch gears. Um, you, you people may or may not know that Rudy Wealth Management is basically we are retirement specialists. All we deal with is re- people that are close to retirement and in retirement. We really specialize there, and there's a lot of things that go with it. Uh, there's it, it, a lot of things that go into retirement, and, and we decided years ago that that's what we were going to specialize in. And one of the things I wanted to talk about today is. Not just show this just the financial sh- side of things of retirement because retirement comes with its own challenges, but I was shocked to learn the average retiree spends forty three and a half hours per week watching television um, It just started to make me wonder about this financial prepare- preparedness is only maybe half the battle uh, when it comes to basically having a happy better uh, higher quality retirement a more fulfilling retirement and Daniel, I know you wrote a blog about this issue. Uh, which you can people can read if they want to on um, com. Uh, what's the title of the article I, I haven't looked at it yet um it's uh it's pretty much talking about creating an activity plan oh okay and you suggest in that that people create a written plan based on their personal goals and activities and that way it kind of it, it's designed to basically work towards something to work towards those goals and uh, maybe you have some suggestions in there about how to think about this. But when it comes to retirement activity planning, where do people even begin? Where, yeah. Like, what, what is it that made you want to write that blog, and, and where, where did you begin in writing it?
3: Well, because actually, I got it kind of from you. I wrote it down in one of our meetings because someone was ready to retire, and they had the means to retire. And then you said, well, what are you going to do with your time? Right. And with that, they said, well, I don't really know and I feel like if you don't really know what you're gonna do in retirement then well you're gonna get bored quickly well, so yeah, <laughs> you,
0: have, you may have two to three decades of, of figuring it out and you know and, and probably getting started on the right plan at least pointed somewhere uh, you know I've always said I really don't have any hobbies so I don't know what I would do you know I'm one of those folks but in some people are on the other they're busier in retirement they're not working but they're busy and more fulfilled in retirement
4: well and we've even had people that, you know, retired and then they did get kind of bored and then decided they would get a part time job, maybe something different than they did, but because, you know, they really didn't have um a plan for kind of what they were gonna do with their time because I mean think how much time you pick up leaving a full time job and now you have to fill forty plus
0: hours a week. And most people that come to us are surprised to find out that they can retire from a financial standpoint into a lifestyle that was is higher than when they were working which really is at, you know uh, takes some getting used to that idea frankly i think most people are a little bit skeptical at first and then they figure out that it is true so you said that you maybe start making a list. What kind of things would you be putting on that list?
3: So, I actually did this for myself. I got the idea from a book that Dave gave me. Um, it's, It's called Grit. And it's pretty much, she's a big believer in intentional practice. And I think you can at least take steps towards finding a purpose in retirement before you retire. And one of the suggestions that I make is making... A list of kind of long-term broad activity goals such as staying fit helping the local community or learning a new craft very broad so you just kind of put something down on paper then after that so, you so think, it might
0: be as simple as you know what I really like I like helping people or right I, I really like uh volunteering or I, or I really like I've always wanted to do woodwork and, and, and carve wooden ducks or you know whatever that might be
3: right and then it's kind of a matter of going from there and breaking it down into day-to-day things you can do to achieve that long-term goal. So it's, hey, I do like wood carving well. What classes around town can I take to where I can get good at wood carving and well, past that, how many hours am I going to spend a day wood carving?
0: What, and then what type of financial commitment might I make if I really get into it? What might it cost to, to be into this hobby? Exactly. And I've always said, kind of on this line of purpose, and we'll keep moving down this path, but uh, people have asked me, what's the idea, ideal retirement scenario? I say, when you have enough money to sleep at night and enough purpose to wake up. And so we're really talking about this purpose issue. And... It, it's not. It's not that people should feel guilty if they don't have a purpose. What you're suggesting is, you've 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 been getting up and going to work for three to four decades. Suddenly, you're going to be free from that. You know, there's the old saying that you know, idle hands are the devil's hands. You have to be very purposeful about purpose, don't you?
3: Right, because I think really it comes down to your overall happiness in retirement. You know, you could have all the money in the world and be retired and not be happy still. So there's this really big part of the equation that no one ever talks about, really.
0: Is, is there, do you, from your observation and from reading and studying you know how people retire, are, are there essentially different phases that people need to think about?
3: Yeah, and I actually talked about that in my blog. I I don't think it's something that's brought up a lot or people think about, but I like to break retirement into pretty much three phases. You know most of the time you're projecting about a thirty year retirement, so you can figure about ten years
0: give or take for each one, depending on where you're at and before you go on, I think people you know when you say a three decade retirement, they have a hard time believing that, but if you take a sixty or sixty two year old couple that's retiring, I'm kind of on the front end of you know still at a relatively young age, at least now that i'm fifty seven i always i think sixty's young and But you take a a pretty healthy husband and wife situation, there's a pretty good chance one of them's going to live into their 90s, isn't there? Absolutely. Okay, so so a three-decade retirement suddenly is not such an odd concept, is it?
3: No, it it isn't at all. And, uh, you know, everything you read shows that.
0: So tell me about the phases.
3: So the first phase, which most of these, when you really think about it, it's like, oh, well, that's obvious. But no one brings them up. So the first phase you'll most likely be more active, you'll be physically able to do more things, and mentally able to do more things, and when I say things, I mean maybe traveling, or doing that hike you always wanted to do, or, you know, you name it, but just being the idea of, hey, my body feels better now than when it's going to be at 30 years down the road. Right. So maybe I should do some of the things that are going to be a little bit strenuous. Nah. So it's just
0: recognizing that up front and saying, you know what? Like that's just reality for most people and what are we going to do about it? Right. You know, does, how does that impact my vision of my next 3 decades?
4: Well, and I know this, you know, discussion isn't primarily focusing on the finances, but, okay. but um, there you know, there's financial kind of planning impl- implications there too because you know, a lot of those especially travel but a lot of those activities can be expensive i mean if you're the guy who wants to golf every single day and you have to pay for a golf cart you know every single day or you have to pay uh, for a round of golf if you don't belong to a club and pay a monthly fee like that those expenses add up but one of the things you can do is plan on spending a little bit more in the early phases of retirement and then know that a lot of those things are going to go away i mean when you're 83, you're probably not going to want to go to Europe for three weeks and walk around all day long because right. your knees are going to hurt.
0: And, and that's one of the things we've been doing a lot more often when we're meeting with prospective clients and talking to current clients about this reality that's kind of these phases of reality and how to take advantage of it and sometimes it means front loading the retirement plan and saying you know what if you're gonna if there's more things you want and can do in the first 10 years or so maybe we fund that a little differently and then maybe you know maybe we look at the other phases a little bit differently right so what would the second phase be then? so in
3: the second phase they say that your mobility might decline a little bit and your mental aptitude might decline so Right here, like what you were saying, you can plan for this. And maybe you still do want to travel, but maybe you have to travel differently. And maybe you have to spend a little bit more so you're comfortable. Maybe have a companion to travel with you. Things like this. Or
0: fly in business class because it's more comfortable. And those things cost money at the same time.
3: Of course. And I think, I mean, that is a real expense. And I think you need to plan for that. I think so. It's just being deliberate. So in the third phase... I mean, we see it a lot. When when you get
0: to your 80s, you you start to slow down a little bit. I think that's fair to say. We're we're painting with broad brushes, but I've been doing this for 33 years, and... And I think it's safe to say is as people enter their early eighties, that's when I start noticing, you know, some differences. That mm-hmm. when there's some real differences. Again, I have some ninety year old clients that go out jogging. Uh so you know, we know there are exceptions, but in general I think it's in my my observation mm-hmm. has been, yeah, you get into your eighties and it becomes a little different dynamic.
3: Yeah, and that brings up other planning issues too, because Really, that third phase of retirement, a lot of the things in the first phase of retirement you most likely won't be able to do. And just knowing that, I think it, it gives you a chance to make sure when you're in your third phase of retirement, you're not looking back and going, man, I really wish we should have done fill-in-the-blank while we could. So, And
0: and, that, and that's both- – both financially and from just our physical and mental capability standpoint. I, you know, I get to have tough conversations with clients. I mean, you know, there's certain realities that come along with living another year and another year and another year. And, and I just have to be blunt about certain issues. And it, it doesn't seem to offend clients. Um, it, it's a, But it's a little, I wouldn't say uncomfortable, but, you know, when you're talking to the 80-some-odd-year-old couple, I mean, we don't have a 30-year time horizon. All of a sudden realistic time horizons are hitting us in the face and that's why we have conversations on the front end of retire that you know you know maybe talk in some format that um you know if if this was your last day on earth and you were had a terminal illness and your time is up you know is there anything what what didn't get finished what what didn't you do that you wanted to do uh or or maybe even a conversation around well what if you only had five to ten years to live but your doctor assured you you would be healthy during that whole time how would that impact your vision of the next two, three, you know, of, of the rest of your life? And so not, not to get, you know, strange about it, but it really it's that quality of conversation where people will say, wow, I, I haven't really thought about it. What wouldn't have gotten finished? What you're saying is even when it comes to kind of planning out because, you, you know, over the next potential two or three decades, there's that realistic recognition that I don't want to look back. And have a life that some things didn't get done that I wanted to get done, and and that can easily happen if you don't plan on it, can't it?
3: Yeah, and I think most people would agree that that's a lot of people's regrets. You hear that about that a lot. So if but, you can prevent that uh, as much as you can, sure,
0: at least it's worthy of a conversation. But yet, in reality, when when the sixty-two-year-old or sixty-five-year-old couple walks in, if I ask them, well, what do you, you know, what are your not 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 your financial goals as much. Uh, but what are your goals as far as how do you envision the next two to three decades? People have a really hard time really on the spot, at least, um, thinking about what those might be. So is is there a way you can prepare a list or did you prepare a list in your, that people can like. Maybe it's like, oh, okay, I can get it. Here's a start. Right. Some big issues that I can think about. Maybe that gets your mind right. A
3: bit. I I made a list at the end of my blog just of questions to ask yourself to get the ball rolling. And, and the, what are what are some of those? So some of the questions might be like, what hobbies do I really love? What what am I going to do to stay mentally sharp? What. What purpose do I want to serve to my community or my family in retirement? Do I want to move closer to family? What type of travel do I want to do? So there's a lot. I could go on and on, but, I mean, if you want to check out the whole list, you can go to my blog. And,
0: and there's more to, guys, you're kind of picking up on this now that you've been with me a few years almost. Uh, there's more to, worth, I mean, to uh, wealth and net worth. And we noticed, and we work with Charles Schwab, our clients have all their accounts at Charles Schwab, but they did a, a survey, and it's a new one that said, uh, if they found that Americans lean towards definitions of wealth that money can't buy. When asked to me, having wealth means, and then fill in the blank, only a third roughly of the 1,000 American surveyed selected having a lot of money. The other 65% chose having a having good physical health. You guys have examples uh, that you've seen in your lives of people that are older than you are, uh, that, that examples of some activities that maybe surprise you or that you pursue, pursue yourself because of that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I think for uh, a bunch of 20-year-olds, David and Daniel and I think about our retirement activities probably more than anyone else. (laughs) But uh, I have a couple you know, just off the get-go. The first one for me is martial arts, and I think that's going to surprise people because that always is thought of as a a very high-impact sport. But you can really train and even compete in martial arts in some form for about your whole life. And uh, that really hit home to me when I went to a seminar Uh, It was actually taught by Bruce Lee's old training partner, Dan Inosanto, and he was 79 years old at the time. Had enough energy to give a two-day seminar about martial arts to a bunch of young people like me, and he doesn't slow down a bit. I mean, he's completely physically and mentally sharp, and, you know, that's really not that surprising because when you think about what martial arts does for you, it it engages your brain, it engages your reflexes, it engages your balance, and those are the things that people are worried about losing. So, um, yeah, I mean... Dan Inasano was a big inspiration for me and it's kind of funny because it's really not unusual to have guys, especially at that level, train, you know, into their eighties and even nineties. You know, like um, I mentioned, Inasano was seventy nine, but he has a training partner who's about ten years his age who
0: was that part of your thinking then I might stick with this because I've seen guys that are in their seventies or eighties. It looks like this is something if i'm careful and deliberate about it but something that can challenge me and give me a sense of purpose that i might look for well into my 70s or even 80s.
2: Absolutely, and I think it's some degree of, uh, you know, which comes first, the chicken or the egg, you know, do active people choose to engage in martial arts, or does it keep them active, and I tend to think it, it keeps these guys young, because like I said, you know, you have examples all over the martial arts community from different martial arts too. Inosano is more of a stand-up striking arts guy, he does a bit of everything, but Jeet Kundo is really more his style, but you also have stories about Helio Gracie, the patriarch of the Gracie family, rolling, you know, training into his 80s and 90s until he passed away. Um, And actually, one of the guys that Inasano trains with is about 10 years his elder, and I think he's kind of his coach as well. And he says, Dan, you should be able to do this. You're only in your 70s. So I think they kind of take it for granted.
4: Yeah. (laughs) I I think Paul touched on something that I've definitely witnessed, which is, you know, I think sometimes these things keep you young. And I think part of the motivation for this blog post is, you know, we see a lot of different people throughout retirement with different backgrounds and they have very different experiences depending on what they choose to do with their time. And the, the clients that I see that really motivate me to kind of live life basically how they are, are the ones that stay very active and they stay the most mentally sharp and they stay the most energized and just youthful in general. I mean, we have a client that last time I met with her, you know, she's in her 90s, and she was talking about how she went ice skating the other day. (laughs) And that's impressive. And, yeah, I'm sure there's some luck of the draw in terms of genetics and not getting injured and things like that. But like Paul said, I think there's also a certain amount of being purposeful about staying active can keep you youthful and allow you to continue being active.
0: Easy to say, hard to do,
4: though, isn't it? It is, and that's why I think, like Daniel said, it's important. A lot of people spend so much time planning financially for retirement, but they spend absolutely zero
0: time planning kind of the the The, activities. The purpose side, what are they going to do? Like when I said, enough money to sleep at night. And enough purpose to wake up in the morning. Now, have you guys ever been in? A, have you ever been shown up by old folks? You know, that kind of <laughs> make you wonder, like, holy cow! What's going on? Oh, it,
2: it does, and it's it serves as motivation because I was
0: actually out doing a
2: hike uh, out kind of northwest of Las Vegas. It's uh, the Charleston Peak kind of mountainous area, and uh, we started at about seventy five hundred feet. So, being a person from the plains who's used to flatlands at sea level. Climbing a mountain at 7,500 feet is a tough task for me. So, of course, the whole way, I am just, my heart feels like it's going to explode. I'm panting. But as I'm walking up the trail, we got a little bit of a late start, my buddy and I. I'm seeing people walk down the trail, and all of them were like three times my age. (laughs) And not only that, they weren't hardly breaking a sweat. And for a while, my buddy and I were thinking, there's no way these people are making it all the way to the top. Because we were really kind of out there just exploring. We didn't intend to make it to the top because it's a tough climb. And then some guy who must have been 60 or 70 years old came, walk past us, and goes, oh, hey, guys, you know, there's a little bit of ice up at the top, but you'll make it. <laughs> so you know he was up there. <laughs> and we got so angry that we ended up making it all the way to the top. So I learned a couple things that day. One, if you get the right motivation, you can do things that you didn't think you were going to be able to do. And two, I'm probably going to stay hiking because I want to be that 60-year-old guy who blows past the, the 28-somethings and... You some of that preparation like that. is now. Just, uh, <laughs> That's to, why to, I'm just out there. Yeah. It. I mean, I, I think it really motivated me to, hey, let's get your butt in gear and get up this hill because you want to be that guy. You don't want to be sitting at home.
0: So, Daniel is the author of the blog about having purpose in retirement and, and how do you fill up that bucket in retirement and, and, and keep your mind and body active. What does that, you know, how, how do you see yourself? I know it's a it's a stretch to me thinking about that. Uh, but, you know, you're you've been a kind of a big time fisherman. Is that does that fit in? You see people that are retired still capable of doing that. Is that oh yeah is that hard physical work?
3: Yeah, it, you know it is physic It it's, has a physical point to it, and I mean I've talked to people in my fishing club, and some of the older ones now they they say, hey, I know you. I I see you standing all day, and you're working really hard, and you're moving fast, and they just go. I know I can't do that anymore, but I'm just happy to be out here. And, I mean, I just really admire those guys because I want to be that someday. I want to be, you know, in in my late part of retirement still fishing. So, so I'll definitely be out there. And who's to say there? I mean, you'd think, oh, maybe I'll slow down. But I get beat by these guys a lot. So it's not like they're... They're slouches. So so. in
0: summary, and then we're going to move on to Medicare, Yeah, um, because I know people, it's a topic that there's a lot of confusion around Medicare, but I, I think the whole purpose of that last 15 or 20 minutes or so was, you know, kind of our reflecting of being retirement specialists and seeing people through all phases of retirement, you know, we get that recognition that, you know, part of the discussion on the front end of retirement is what is it that makes you tick? What is it that makes you happy beyond money? Um, w- w- you know, what's your vision of fulfilling that purpose bucket? Because money can help you fund a purpose, but it can't find a purpose for you. And and but it's this. They seem. It seems like our happiest clients have both. And and that's just worked t- today. Was just a d- discussion for anybody out there thinking about retirement or on the front end of retirement. That hey, first of all, it's not unusual to be sitting there going, saying. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do. I just know I'm sure what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to go back to work anymore. Um, it's just our way of suggesting to give equal thought to the things you're going to do in retirement and what it is that money's going to fund and how you're going to get your sense of purpose out of it. And, and I think if you can do that, um, again, we're always trying to figure out ways to make people's lives better happier and more fulfilled. And that's just one of the areas we tend to talk a lot about the money side of things. And I think, you know, it's time that people start asking different types of questions as well as advisors. So things to discuss between you and your partner or spouse and your advisor or advisors. And, uh, I think it leads to a better retirement, at least in my observation. Um, that's my belief and what I've witnessed. So today, um, I want to talk, we've, uh, I want to talk a little bit about healthcare and retirement now in, and it's not just because healthcare all of a sudden, but it kind of is Healthcare is suddenly a wild car, you know, for a lot of retirees or people that wanted to leave a job and go start a business. One thing you have to say for the affordable care act, it really kind of solved that issue for a lot of people. I'm not promoting it good or bad. I'm just saying I've seen it where it did do certain things. Um, and, But today, particularly Medicare, and some of the things you need to be aware of regarding that program, which has become such an important program for people uh, in their mid-60s. So let's start with the basics. You commonly hear the word Medicare followed by Part A or Part B. It should be and or probably Part B. And I think it gets confusing to people. Um, Paul, can you kind of shed a little light on the Part A, Part B component? Yeah. Well,
2: originally Medicare was made up of two parts. You had Part A, which was your hospital insurance, and Part B, which is medical insurance. And like you kind of mentioned, they work together, but the coverage doesn't overlap. So as far as Medicare Part A, your hospital insurance, that's going to cover your hospital expenses. So that includes hospital stays, skilled nursing home care, uh, as long as custodial care. care. right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. right. As long home. as it's not custodial care, that's the only care you need, because then that's a long term care issue. You also cover hospice and home health care services. And you may have to pay uh, various deductibles or coinsurance or co payments for those. But uh, I think the the thing to remember about Medicare Part A is for many people; it's it's going to be free because they or their spouses I think it's for about seventy percent of people. Right.
0: I think thirty are the ones that are high payers mm-hmm.
2: because they or their spouses pay taxes towards into that Medicare right. Medicare system uh, for at least ten years or forty quarters. Uh, otherwise, they may have to pay, like you said, a little monthly premium. Now, Medicare Part B is your health insurance company. Coverage, So that's going to cover a couple different types of services, you know, including medically necessary services to treat illness and conditions. So that's going to be, you know, doctor's office, lab visits, lab work, x-rays, outpatient surgeries and preventative surgeries, things to keep you healthy, you know. And that even includes cancer uh, screenings and flu shots. But it uh, also covers medically necessary, durable medical equipment. So that's going to be wheelchairs, walkers. um, you know, just anything that you're going to need as far as hardware. Um, So the costs for Part B services kind of vary, and um, frequently you're going to pay a deductible and then possibly even 20% of the Medicare-approved amount. Um, So that's just something to be aware of. And just kind of as a catch-all, you know, most people are going to pay a premium for Part B. uh, Even if you're enrolled in a Medicare Advantage plan that provides both Part A and B benefits, you're still going to have to pay your Part B premium.
4: Sorry to interrupt. I was just going to mention um, one thing. Paul actually touched on was the twenty percent co-insurance um, that you might have to cover. So Medicare Part B by itself, there's really big gaps involved in that because that coinsurance insurance is basically what you pay, like your portion of what you pay the expenses. And it's my understanding there's no maximum out-of-pocket limit. So I think people get used to, you know, most health insurance plans right. you might have a maximum of four thousand. Well, if you don't have a Medigap plan, which I'm sure Paul's going to talk about in a little bit, um, you basically have unlimited potential out-of-pocket expenses with just And that's going to add up. We've seen it happen. So it can be really significant, just something to really be aware of.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and we'll touch on that a little more. Now, I mentioned Part A and Part B, but people are probably also hearing about Medicare Part C and Part D and wondering what those are. And uh, Part C is just privately purchased supplemental insurance that... Provides additional services um, through which all Medicare services offered by Part A and B can can be accessed, and then Part D is prescription drug coverage.
0: And on the uh, my understanding of the uh, prescription drug coverage, you really need to take a good look at what medicines you're likely to be relying on uh, and things like that before you pick a plan. And there's a tool on Medicare's website uh, where you can plug in the
4: medications that you take, and it will pop up recommended plans that should provide. Um, basically the best coverage for your particular needs. So that's definitely something worth looking
0: into. Okay. Uh, and then uh, I was trying to read a text. I'm trying to figure out what it, <laughs> what it says, but go ahead. So I'll get back to that text. Uh, I think uh, something people are often unaware of is Medicare is mandatory. How, how do you deal with Tell me about the mandatory nature of it.
2: Well, I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but uh, once you turn 65 and you're collecting Social Security benefits, you have to enroll in Medicare Part A, which covers your hospital costs, like I said. If you don't want to enroll in Medicare, then you have to repay your Social Security benefits. So that's a, a pretty steep penalty for not enrolling in Medicare A. And like I said, Medicare A is free for most people, you know, like you said, around 70%. So it's kind of your own fault if you don't end up
0: signing up for it. Okay, so so you have to be careful. that's not one you want to let slip by, um, and you can't wait to enroll without penalty if you're st- if you- I was going to say one note: can you wait to sign up if you're still working?
2: You can, and I was going to mention the penalties because like I said, you you are supposed to take these pretty early, so um, it does cost you to wait as far as signing up, so you have what's called an initial enrollment period to sign up for Medicare Part B. And um, that begins three months before your 65th birthday, includes your birthday month, and then extends three months beyond that. So that is your initial enrollment period. So if you miss that seven month window, you're gonna pay a delayed enrollment penalty of 10% per year. So if you waited till 70 instead of 65, That five-year delay is going to cost you 50% of the standard Part B premium every single month you're enrolled in Medicare. So it's an ongoing cost that you you keep paying. And then there's also a 1% per month delayed enrollment penalty for Medicare prescription drug Mm plans. So that's another thing you need to be 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 cognizant of.
0: But to be clear, you can wait to enroll without penalty if you're still working. So that's something. That's the caveat. Yeah. If you or your spouse actually
2: are covered by a group health insurance plan through a current employer or union, you can delay enrolling. For uh, in Medicare penalty-free, then once your insurance coverage ends, you have eight months after that to sign up for Medicare in what's called a special enrollment period. So, yeah, you can put it off eventually, and then once you're you're no longer covered by that insurance, you have eight months of a special period to sign up without penalty.
0: What about the fact that Medicare has these gaps, David? Uh, People hear about these gaps all the time. I mean, they even have plans called Medigap plans. What do they mean by these gaps? Can you give us a little more highlight on that?
4: Yeah, so I talked a little bit about that. And I think the biggest one by far is that 20% coinsurance of approved Medicare expenses, um, with which has no limit. So, again, um, that's a huge gap. But then you have things like deductibles and co-pays, which I think most listeners will be familiar with. So, long story short, is there's there are out-of-pocket expenses that you would have if you just have Medicare Part B. It doesn't cover everything. So what you have to do if you want to kind of cover those gaps is purchase a Medigap plan. Okay. And a Medigap plan, as the name implies, it's just designed to cover those gaps, like the deductibles, the co-pays, the co-insurance. Um, and they're there's standardized plans, and they're offered through private insurance companies. And they're, they're num- or lettered A through, I think, N, but now I'm okay. second-guessing myself. Um, and you can just go online and look at what they do and do not cover. Um, from talking to a health insurance agent, an independent health insurance agent, a couple of them, um, their advice was don't skimp here. So each one, again, you can look at them and see what they cover, but there's one called the F plan that basically covers all, like almost all of your out of pocket expenses. Um, with the exception of some things that aren't covered at all by Medicare, like hearing aids, um, indentures and some other things, but it's going to cover that whole co-insurance amount. It's not that much more expensive than kind of the, the cheaper Medigap plans. So it's worth getting that Cadillac plan and making your healthcare costs a lot
0: more predictable in retirement. So you guys mentioned that Medicare A is commonly premium free, but Medi- Medicare B is not. So how do they calculate the premium and what, what are the kind of things that impact it?
4: Well, you have a, a standard monthly premium of 134 per month, but basically what they do is they penalize high-income earners by making them pay more for their premiums. And so there's different thresholds, and it's kind of a tiered system. But the first one for individuals, it kicks in at modified adjusted gross income of 85000 And for married couples, it kicks in at 170000 of modified adjusted gross income. Um, and then it, there's thresholds even beyond that. So basically, you know, that's a pretty high level of income. So most people it's not going to apply to, but high-income earners do earn more. And I think the maximum is like 428 a month, which you compare that to the 134 a month. You can see it's it's a significant difference. Yeah,
0: I think there's some laws that basically govern this, and and it ends up being that about 30% of the people pay that higher premium and 70% on the low end. I, I think that's to be the case, but, you know, don't, don't take it for – for you know certainty um and then we're about to uh, we're gonna a couple more things i want to talk about before we go is uh one more thing to remember you can't contribute to a health savings account i noticed and is that just is that some kind of a decision that's kind of tough like wow which one do i do or it's just well
4: i think the need for an hsa and and that's once you are and that's once you're in medicare in medicare yeah i I feel like the need is uh, not as high as kind of when you're younger. A lot of younger people. I, that's kind of what I feel like. HSAs are for is for younger people right. where you um, have a high deductible plan and you basically contribute to an HSA to help you cover those expenses if need be. But if you have, you know, if you have traditional Medicare and you've got Part B, and you've got Part D uh, coverage for your, um, what do you call it, your um, I'm not sure what you're... I, the part, Dave, I'm trying to run D. the show
0: here. You guys have to bail them out. <laughs> I'm,
4: I'm drawing a blank. Like your medicines and things. Oh, D. Yeah, prescription Medicare drug. Part yeah, D, for prescription drugs. And then you have a good Medigap plan. There's really n- not going to be huge out-of-pocket expenses. And
0: hopefully, you maybe you had an HSA earlier in your life that's built up, and okay. you can use that. Well, that's good stuff. I hope that, I hope that for, some general questions for people about Medicare. I hope the part about a purpose in retirement helps people again. Uh, These are just observations from helping people and and getting to witness, uh, you know, uh, scores of retirements over the years, at least in my part. Um, We are holding another seminar on retirement planning. The spots were grabbed up quickly last time and the room filled up before some people had a chance to sign up. So we're going to head and host another seminar on the same topic. There are currently four spots remaining. It's going to be Wednesday, July 12th from 630 to 8 p.m. at our Rudy Wealth Learning Center on Galen Drive. In this event, Rudy Wealth Management Team will walk you through the challenges facing those planning for retirement, the different decisions you have to make, and how to approach them. Ultimately, we'll teach you reasonable expectations for things like withdrawal rates and ultimately help you decide if you are retirement ready. This has been a really popular one. This is our most popular workshop. And our feedback, uh, the reason we're going to continue to do this one is because the feedback's been so positive. Uh, I think it it starts to really fence in some of the decisions and some and the things people need to think about, about. And it's probably more geared towards the financial side of retirement than anything. You can sign up by going online at our seminars page on our website at rudywealth.com, or you can call us at 356-1400 and Rose or Laura will get you signed up. Again, there's four spots left. They'll probably go quickly and you're, I promise you, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to walk out saying, wow, I learned something tonight that I didn't know. Uh, again, positive feedback. Uh, we have another couple minutes, guys, but uh, kind of go along with that. Um, a lot of people do call us, or they can get on our website um, and sign up for a consultation. And it's on us; we don't charge for it. And we do a lot of uh, pre-retirement discussion work with people that just want either things affirmed, or maybe they're just wondering: is it even realistic that I can retire? You know, in the next blank this period of time and the one thing 33 years has done for me I can get there pretty fast usually in that first meeting if they can walk in and tell me what their Social Security income is going to be any pensions uh, their outside marketable assets whether how much in taxable accounts tax deferred like um, 401k plans IRAs etc and then Roth accounts pretty quickly I can get really close to what their financial world will look like Um, If uh, based on a certain time frame. And and, and I think you guys even are amazed how smart I am, uh, how close (laughs) I can get on that first meeting. And obviously we refine it as we move forward, if we move forward. But for a lot of people, uh, in fact, most people that walk in the doors that kind of like to go through that review to kind of get an inventory of where they are and kind of if they keep doing what they're doing, what is their retirement going to look like? The vast majority of them find out they can retire sooner and better than they had contemplated and their own brains allowed them to think about. So you can call us at three five six fourteen hundred for that free consultation. We don't bite. There's no catch um, and there's no pressure. Uh, I think it's very helpful for people. At least that's what they continue to tell us. And we're more than happy to do that. Whether you become a client or not, there's no pressure there. 356-1400. Schedule it or go online at RudyWelt.com and you can sc- schedule it around your convenience. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening to On The Money. We'll be back in a couple of weeks for the next show. Thanks for listening.
4: Join us for the second and fourth Tuesday of each month for Paul Rudy's On the Money. Views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent
1: those of the station. This is News Talk 1400, WDWS, champaign